Hey all, I'm Ashish Kulkian. I'm the founder and CEO at Cosmos, and I'm really excited for my podcast production. A lot of my friends dream of opening restaurants. It is such an accessible dream. Quit your job. Make food you are passionate about in a location you are passionate about, and if you are good at what you do, the customers will throng to your restaurant. Ashish Tulsian is a serial entrepreneur who had a similar dream. While running a profitable bootstrap tech business, he started a restaurant on the side. But he soon realized that running a restaurant is incredibly operations heavy, and making it profitable is incredibly hard. But not one to give up, he decided to use his tech background to make software tools to help him manage the restaurant. And in the last ten years, those tech tools have evolved into a full-fledged restaurant SaaS product called Possist. Possist is a rare SaaS business that is both global and profitable. And in this very special episode of the Founder Thesis podcast, Ashish Tulsian spills the beans to Akshay Dutt on what it takes to build a successful global SaaS business. Stay tuned and subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming app to learn how to build large, profitable businesses with a global footprint through bootstrapping. I wanted to do business as far as I can remember. Uh, I probably wanted to do a business in fifth class, in fifth standard. And I and I genuinely attempted to start my first startup when I was really nine standard. Um, this was the era of ninety nine two thousand dot com boom. And uh, I don't know if you remember this or not, or if you came across this or not. There used to be this first magazine in India yeah. called Chip. Uh, this magazine used to come with a CD. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. This magazine they was launched. A lot of such magazines which would have a CD, correct, which correct. would have shareware so, software. Absolutely. So there was BP Quest, Data Quest, um, computers at home, uh, chip, and then eventually it became digit. So I, I knew all these magazines. I remember April 98 was the first issue of chip. And I think I bought that 100 rupees magazine back in 1998. Uh, 100 rupees was technically too much for a magazine. And uh, I got held one computer early as well. So, so my dad got me a computer back in 93. Um, and uh, and that was again like a blessing of a different time. But uh, but I remember like all those magazines had a big impact on me. So from '98 to you can say up till 2006, these eight years, I used to read five or six computer and tech magazines, and I used to read them front to back. I used to like I used to just you know absorb everything like a sponge. So. One of the things that happened is that in 99, 2000, uh, Chip used to be full of these advertisements of web development company, web hosting companies and whatnot. And I got fascinated and I was like, all right, I'm going to kill Yahoo.com. So I built a, I, I built a legit business where I called, I, I was in Delhi. So Gurgaon was getting a lot of these new age, uh, you know, Ivy League grads were, were their new sales, sales people. So I remember summer of 2000. I called one of these companies and I called them and I said, Hey, I want to make a portal. And, and the guy on the other side was like, what? I said, I want to make a portal. He said, you mean you want to make a website? I said, no, no, no. I want to make a portal. I want to make a dynamic 
you know, stuff, not a, not a lovely static website. The guy was ecstatic. He felt, whoa, like this, this probably is, is the most qualified lead he has got. Um, and, uh, and he sent the, the guy, you know, to my home, uh, in scratching heat of May in Delhi. And this guy came and, and, and I opened the door and, and he came in and he kept on looking for them there and then he, and I was like, you know, I, uh, yeah, like so, nine standard kids. Correct, and and, uh, and and this guy then after like having water, kept on looking at him and he's like, Mr. Tulsiya? I said, yes. He said, no, I mean, Mr. Ashish Tulsiya. I said, yeah, that's me. And I saw, and I saw his jaw dropping. I saw him getting disappointed with life. And in that moment, I was like, oh, shit, what have I done? This guy is not going to speak to me when you know, not confident. So what I did is I said, but wait, my dad is also going to join the meeting. So you just sit down and, and I come back. And I, and my dad was taking an afternoon nap and I went in and I woke him and I said, get ready, come out. And he said, oh, but for what? I said, there's a guy you need to sit with me in the meeting. He said, what? I said, he said, he said, but what will I do there? I said, don't do anything. Whatever I'm saying, just say yes to it. That's all. <laughs> so, so my dad actually sat down in that meeting. And uh, it took like good 15, 20 minutes of conversation where I was the one who was speaking and this guy was continuously looking at my dad and replying. And like it took 15, 20 minutes for me to win over him that, okay, I'm not stupid. And he started looking at me. So, so I did that. I I bought I bought uh, some web space. I bought some domain name. And those days, Network Solutions was the only domain name registrar. So used to spend, you know, money from here. So did all of that. And uh, then in 10th standard, then my dad after investing this money on me. And it was it was quite mean money. I feel at times I feel guilty about well, you know, making him send spend thirty two thousand rupees then because I remember we I bought web space. I, I bought web space for sixteen thousand rupees, sixteen MB web space, and I bought a domain name for eight thousand rupees per year. And because I wanted a larger commitment, I booked it for two years. And that domain name was youthhaigama.com. So, uh, so then my dad convinced me. And after that, he said, Fee, I spent money for you. You have this website for the next few years. You can do whatever you want. You make your projects, try, do whatever. You have to commit one thing. Now that I'm on your side, you have to crack your tenth well, but the usual shit, right? Make crack your tenth well and lighting set tight. So, so he convinced me. I was also kind of disarmed now, right? He went for the logging for me. I'm like, I, I can't, I can't speak now. So, so I basically got segmented into that, you know, 10th completed, you get segmented into this ITJ prep 11th and 12th. So I think, I think from that 10th class, I found myself straight into first year of college. I mean, the, in between it was a blur. So as soon as that happened, I started my first startup in second year at 10th because, and, and, and the day I started that I actually you know, told my dad exactly the same thing. I said, you know what? I'm exactly now doing what I wanted to do five years back. So, and he was like, all right, you're free now. I'm not going to ask you to even complete your engineering. Do whatever you want. I, I'm okay. Yeah. So, so I think something, something inside me was definitely there that I want to start my own business. I don't know where it came from. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely there. You, way. you started Youth Angama as what like a community portal or what never never happened never happened okay huh. so so basically 
Uh, I used that domain and web space to learn a lot of web technologies. I kept on hosting pages on that. I learned how to develop websites. Uh, so I think that remained a very experimental domain for me for a couple of years. It never, it never, it never got better. Okay, okay, okay. So then, what what did you actually do as uh, like you know business? Like obviously, by the time you were finishing your engineering, you would have thought of like you know earning money. No, no, no. So no, no. So I, I as a kid, I my deal to start a business was like I was just waiting for the escape velocity as soon as I off, you know, you know my parents' clause or whatever the society clause, and that was college for me. So first year I. You know, of course, lived around in college, did all the quote unquote college like uh, shit. Uh, which year is first year? Uh, this is 2003. Yeah. So, so I did my engineering between 2003 and 7. And uh, that's why I think 10th class was 2000. So, so 2003, I just chilled around. I, you know, I literally lived and spent it like college life. Uh, I, I was not interested in doing anything else. Uh, but then by the end of second semester, which would be end of first year, I was got to read more and I was like, okay, now if next three years in engineering are going to be a copy paste of year one, this is going to be super boring and I'm not interested in this. If I can do any on site, like we can chill out with it. So in second year, I started, uh, you know, toying with the idea and I started wondering, you know, what is it that I can do? And I mean, these are, this is 2004, these are not the days of startups. Um, I think if you have to find your icons, there were none of them, but they were not popular. So Sanjeev Vikchandali of Nokri, you know, was a big one. Arnold Smithson of JobsAhead.com was there. Arnold Kedju of Contest to Win, Gears to Win was there. Vishal Gundal of India Gate. These were the, these were the, you know, few icons, uh, deep, uh, of, uh, make fight player and, and right. so on, right? So these were the dot com guys. They were the guys who basically crossed over the dot com bus. And, you know, as a, as a nine content creator, my curiosity made me, uh, you know, read so much about these things that honestly, when I, when I started my tech company and I met all these people and now, you know, I know one of them, but when I met them for the first time, I actually could tell them by date or by months, by years, what did they do when? And I remember when I was talking to, I was talking to Dinesh Agarwal of IndiaMart.com and while talking something and he said, Oh, by the way, in India, well, back in the day, we did that. I said, yeah, yeah I remember October of 1999. So yeah, so so I started uh, toying with the idea, and and I think because those days were not the cool started days or started days at all. My idea in those days was that I wanted to do on journey. I wanted to figure out if I can build something that somebody can pay some people. And and logic was very clear that if I can charge you two dollars, I'll figure out how to make two thousand or two million. But let me first validate if my skills are marketable, if my you know production you know, can see some commercial value. So, so we started building website. We, you know, I, I wrote in a friend of mine. We, we started building small How software. How did you get business? Did you also advertise in magazines? No, no, no. I think this was, this was very word of mouth. 
you know, sort of thing. For example, I remember the first hustle, uh, and, and as a student, you know, what ideas do you get? Liability management system, school website. I remember my first, I, I remember my first hustle was school's website back in 2004. And wherein, you know, I said, all right, I'm going to approach my own school. And, and I will, I will, you know, I was a good academic student and not that I was thriving for it. Uh, and I say this very, very humbly, but I was like one of those guys who were, who were scoring well while not bothering about it. So, so my good teacher, my principal knew me type. So, so I said, all right, I have access to my school and I have access to my principal. I'm sure I'm going to get business there. So I remember I, our first person was that we built a prototype of a full portal for school attendance and, you know, whatever, parents in theater or like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so we went in pitch, of course, didn't get any, any business, uh, because I was also clear that I'm not going to give it for free. And I'm only going to give it to somebody who pays me money. And uh, so I think our first break was, uh, uh, I think a friend, 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 cousin said, oh, I need a software for, uh, uh CNF, you know, carry forwarding. Uh, agent. So they used to be right and he gave us a requirement of a very simple small software. And I said, all right, uh, we can make it. And I think I quoted uh, uh, some 15,000 rupees. This guy gave me a check of 5,000 rupees at once. And I was like, doomed. We are in the game. And I think I think we quoted that over the month. We delivered first conversion to him, you know, that month. He gave us another 10,000 rupees. And like we were, we were super happy. Like we were on cloud nine because for me, that 15,000 rupees meant road to 15 lakh or 15 crore. I was not really thinking of 15,000 or 15,000. And, and, and then of course we started getting little, little projects. We built a website for someone and, and then started doing, you know, going word of mouth. But then interestingly, what also happened is that this guy called the six months from then. And he said, hey, can you uh, install the same software's copy on my Chacha who is in Pani? So I thought we can do that. And we did that. And and we charged another 15K. And that made me also 15K. And that was my first understanding of difference between services and product. And I was like, boss, yeah, product thing. We are not going to, we are not going to continue, you know, digging these wells every day. You know, make sure that we make it once and it compiles. So that stayed with me. That second 15,000 and third 15,000 were really sweet. Uh, and, uh, so then we did a couple of different things and then, you know, I mean, we kept on getting different projects, but I think you we, would have hired the developers and all like the team. Yeah. So, 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 uh, within first year of which is my second year of college. We hired uh, three people. We took a small office space. Again, this is not the end of who was staying and all of that, right? So even will not come in. And thankfully, this was also not an era which is which is which which boggles my mind when I look back. This is not an era where people will appreciate students doing business, where startup is an absolute no go, where uh, engineers are not available technically. If you're a B tech, you'll be working in infrastructure. And, uh, 
and the best you can get is BCA, MCA, uh, uh, people, or maybe diploma holders from Aptech or NIIT. And they also want to work for a company. They don't want to work for an individual, leave alone a student. So I can tell you that these are the days when in 2004, when we opened our first office, a very small office, but in a commercial center. And Delhi is also, you know, I used to always envy people in Mumbai and Bangalore because uh, these are the two places where you can open offices in a residential space and you're okay with it. Delhi is not like that. Delhi, you have to have an office. So we took a small 300 square foot office in a commercial space. I remember the first developer that we hired, he was six years elder to us. And, yeah, okay. and the only saving grace was that he did not know that we are in college. And we, yeah, made, okay. you know, we made sure that nobody knew that we are in college. In fact, I think till the time we completed college, we never made, I mean, we made, we made sure that we don't read this information. And, and I think nobody from that era, so, so funnily, uh, you know, I hired this one very, very senior guy later, later in the story in Chennai. And that guy in those days was a project manager at Infosys. So he was 10 years experienced already and technically whatever, 30, 12, 30 years senior to us. We worked with him, he worked with us for a year and then he moved on, you know, we moved on from that project. Six or four years from then, one day on social media, on Facebook, I think back in 20, 2011, he pinged me and he said, Ashish, dude, I just looked you up. I said, yeah. He said, how is that possible? I said, why is it not possible? He said, I worked, I worked on for you in 2003. I said, yeah. So he said, you lied to me. I said, no, you never asked me that question. It was like, wow. So, so I think thanks, thanks social media was not you know, not this, you know, this, you know, popular, but I think today, I think things have changed in a very interesting way where, you know, I think startups have become so cool that, you know, student running a startup, people will flock and work for them. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah absolutely. You know, like, because, like because, an example, like two kids. No, not, not a Yeah, not a bit. So I think, I think today things are easier, but uh, in those days, we never told anyone that we are still in college. Uh, so we, so in third year, which is 2005, is when we stumbled upon this opportunity of value-added services. SMS-based services, value-added services in India was still picking up. And it was, yeah, and we were not even, we were not even sure if it was called VAT then. So it took a year for it to be started calling VAT. We were basically just trying to build SMS-based services. And this was the product idea that we stumbled upon while doing services. While doing services, there was a point where, you know, somebody kept on asking us, oh, can you automate the SMS? Can, can the SMS go? And then we said, all right, how will that go without a SIM card? And, uh, and that led us to, you know, so, so we started with Telecom Company. We stopped our services business uh, in third year, and uh, that was 2005. We started a Telecom Value Added Services Company. It was called Techno Effect. Uh, that was a successful run. I, you know, came out of college while running that company. In 2007, I ended up hiring three of my bachelors. Uh, you know, into that company. Uh, that was quite client friendly in those days. I wouldn't be humble about it. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and that was a good run because, uh, you know, as was I said, it like, was cool. uh, helping businesses with uh, sending promotional and transactional messages? No. So, so not promotional. We were doing enterprise business. We were doing SMS, transaction based SMSs. 
for a lot of banking clients, for mutual fund clients, for insurance companies. So we work with MetLife Insurance, with Love and Life Insurance, SBI Mutual Fund, Boris Mutual Fund. Uh, we did some audible volume of ICICI Bank. Then we got into this uh, promotional business with telcos itself. So telcos, every telecom company had these uh, uh, promotional campaigns of uh, a ringtone, call it tune, yeah. wallpaper, yeah, right? Yeah. So they used to tie us with others. And, and then telco used to give their own subscribers database and used to give their own bandwidth. Our, our game was that we built the SMS gateway. We built the gateway software which was deployed on an SMS switching center. So, so terminology wise, uh, it's it basically that. And, and when uh, telcos used to do these promotions, they used to pay you on the conversion uh, of it. So, so that was a big business. That was a pretty big business. And uh, so we did all of that. We did it, not do promotion like a, and marketing. Uh, like this, this was like a, Primitive programmatic advertising business. I think telcos take you and converge it. Correct. I would not even say that. And it was not that intelligent, honestly. It was it was very rudimentary. I think I think for us, the way we used to look at our business was very simple. We used to own the gateway. Gateway was required to schedule, send, make these resolutions happen. Because telco used to only limit their services to anything that applies to a SIM card. Because that was Telco's primary business valuers or the inside thing to them. So they never, you know, they never wanted to get into that. Us as SMS provider, our understanding was simple that we used to get a bandwidth from Telco. That bandwidth comes in transactions per second. So for example, I can take a I can take a 10 PPS pipe from Airtel. It means that I have a pipe which will throw 10 SMSs per second. Now you multiply it with time and basis how much can you, you know, load the pipe you have been. And we, they used to charge with, let's say, 10 lakh rupees per pipe per month. So it will come down to whatever, two pesos per SMS, let's say, assuming, right? So, so it was a business where, you know, how much can you sell and how much can you use that pipe? Because in telecom company, if you think about it, their inventory is airtime. So the time that you are not using your phone, their inventory is getting lost forever. The time is not going to come back, right? That is exactly why on, uh, you know, festive days, uh, towers get jammed. Because because of the air tile, actually each tower works on like a 90% like on, on, you know, 10 no day. So if, if a tower can handle, let's say, 100 connections parallelly, it will be distributed to a thousand people. But if uh, 200 like people actually goes up for New Year, uh, things yeah. like that. It is, I, it is exactly so the same. Yeah, it is, it is exactly for the same reason. A lot of people think that, you know, pricing goes up because Telco wants to earn money. That is also true. But the bigger fact is that if they're not going to increase SMS's price back in the day, nowadays it's not even there. But, but if they will not increase the price, you will start sending so many SMS's that their network is going to jab. So they're going to lose the revenue because of the jamming. So, so we used to increase the price and people used to think, oh, they're trying to make money to it. No, they're trying to decorate you from not sending it to them. So yeah, that was our business. We ran that business from 2005 to 11. And in 11, How much were you yeah. earning at the peak? Like your, uh, yeah, uh, personally, 
per hour. So this company made uh, a top line of eight and a half, eight and a half crore at the peak. And I think we peaked around 2009. Uh, 2009 came our business grew, but our top line fell because SMS prices dropped. So country went through the SMS spam. So the SMS that I used to sell for 35 pesa, imagine uh, in, in January of 2009, I used to sell this message for 35 pesa. In October of 2009, I was selling this message for 3 pesa. Right, but but thankfully my volume also grew twenty eight. So so technically we kept on. That's where that's where we peak. So by the way, our revenue also peaked when it was present went uh, I did a lot of uh, SMS spam flash promotional campaign for political parties in two thousand nine. So last last Lok Sabha election, um, I did eighty crore messages for BGP. And. Yeah, that was LK Advani's campaign. Uh, it was his, his uh, you know, ambition to be the president of the private minister. Uh, uh, I think, and we did so much for so many. For example, this, uh, Andhra, Andhra had this minister called YF Neddy. Uh, he unfortunately passed away in a, yeah, in a, in a air crash. So for YFR, I did a campaign in 2009. I I think we were the guys who spammed every living soul in Andhra Pradesh. <laughs> right from campaigning to also thank you after billing. We didn't leave that. Right? So we, we spammed everyone. Right? And, and this was the data given by Tenko. So technically, we were, we were absolutely the legal. But funny, what happened is, or, 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 or you know, funny, funny in those days, as soon as government came in, in 2010, they were the ones who said, oh, by the way, there is too much spam in the country. Are you kidding? <laughs> you are the guy who made this spam happen. So, so one of the reasons we sold off the company existed in 2011. It was not because of any other reason, but because between 2009 and 11, I could clearly see that this is not going anywhere. So at the peak, you know, to answer your question, I think we were doing eight and a half crore top line, but we were doing one and a half crore profit of the time. So, so I think as a, as a 23, 24 year old, I, my take home was, was pretty high, you know, from that time. Um, and, and I also kind of got disenchanted, you know, with that money because it's not that I said, yo, money is nothing and we should not earn money. It was like, it was like I figured that, you know, a crore rupees a year is not going to change your life anyway. And, and um, and he, and I started um, feeling lack of gain. I started feeling stuck because you know all the plans that I had in telecom they used to get chopped off by some regulation, DRAI. Another thing that I had, I had started coming in. Yeah, DND was DND was quite a crap, and and I think my biggest thing was that I had global ambitions even then. So I my ambition was to you know, run a business that I can run in 196 countries. And I want to see, you know, the world win that business. I want to see what can happen on the ground. And I think the harder realization in 2010 was that telecom is one of the most regulated business in every part of Because, see, I was also too naive and I was also learning by experience. So I remember in 2010 when TNAI became active and regulation started hitting up, I said, fuck it, I want to see which country in the world has a great telecom you know, think. 
And I realized, oh, wow, even the most liberal country is also have, it also has a lot of regulation. Then I realized something more fundamental, that no government in this world is going to let go of communication that will expand. So telecom is going to remain regulated. And, and that was my point where I got like completely, you know, I was not interested in this business anymore. And I basically said, well, I'm never going to put my hand in a domain where there is a government regulation directly uh, to my business, unless I'm powerful enough to write the law, uh, which a lot of, lot of people in, in, in our country and a lot of other countries do. <laughs> so, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so, so I, I think uh, that was the time when a lot of consolidation was also happening, because DND and TRAI were killing a lot of people, and vast companies were consolidating. Between 2010 and 11, a lot of vast consolidation happened. So, you know, very, very similar call we received. Pipe Telecom uh, in those days was one of our largest telco customers. And Spike Telecom got sold to idea. And, you know, somebody from Times, Spike Telecom came out, started doing MA, and, you know, we got an exit in between. And again, this was not, this was not the tech crunch exit. We were not looking for 10x revenue, right? We were very, very simple, right? Somebody was giving a 7x pad, and we were like, all right, he's, here is the key. Yeah. <laughs> Go ask yourself. Yeah. And you had a co-founder here or you were the uh, son? No, no. I had a co-founder and that was a friend of mine. So, um, you know, in fact, he was the CTO. And his name, his name is Richard Damas. So uh, he, he basically uh, took an exit in 2011. And uh, he has been chilling in Philly. Uh, not that we, not that we made enough money to chill for life, but this guy was too chill in his way. So, so he, need, he, he does a lot of, uh, you know, consulting and open source work. He's sitting in London, but he, he never worked again, technically. Got it. Okay. So what next for you? Well, uh, while this, uh, this time of disenchantment was going on in 2010, I was also under distracted because this realization was really hard that, okay, I, you know, I've built this business and looks like this business is not going anywhere. I mean, it will continue growing 20, 30% year on year. It was massively profitable, but then, you know, your fetish has changed. And as a 20 to 23 year old, you know, while, you know, that 50 lakhs or a crore per year sounds very, very sweet and it was sweet, but then you, you know, you, you outgrow it faster than you believe. Right. So, and, and that's the, that's the fact for the money. Money is great, but but it doesn't really you know hold you enough for long. So I I basically started toying with different ideas uh, because I recognized that okay we have a tech team and we have you know we are some like you know product people and probably we'll find something new. And and I did a lot of random investments. For example, I I put a water a mineral water plant uh, you know in in Delhi in in Delhi Cad area. Uh, and, and we started making those 20 liter, you know, mineral water bottles. Uh, just because we could, yeah. it was a good, sweet, 20, 30 lakh investment, and, and it started happening. Uh, and, and series of these things happened, and one of the things was restaurant. So I ended up investing in a restaurant also out of like purely at the And I think, I think it was very, very stupid as well because it was like a, it was literally like a 24 year old with a lot of money and, and, and decision making. <laughs> And, and who was like going like, hey, why? like, oh, 
Akshay saying, yeah. dude, what do you think about restaurant? I'm like, no. But restaurant, uh, so we opened a restaurant in three months, like within, actually we, we opened the door of the restaurant within 45 days of discussing that, okay, this is where our restaurant is going to be. So things were happening really fast and we, of course, were overspending all things which we could have saved money on. And uh, so restaurant was one of the projects which happened in between and it screwed up. Like restaurant was one of the most difficult business. It, it did not only screw us on money, it hurt, it, it basically ended up hurting our ego. Uh, because, because we were failing and we were not failing at uh, things which uh, which we could forgive ourselves. Or for example, if we were cleaning a food, I would have forgiven that thing. That okay, cost restaurant, may I? We were failing at marriage too. Food was great because you know food is a single point of success and failure, right? You have a good chef, you're you're in the game. So we chose the chef, right? We chose the location of the restaurant, right? We paid a premium on rent, but we failed on the mat. We did not realize that our food pricing and our rental and everything, our unit economics is fucked up. We failed on people management. We grossly, uh, you know, misunderstood or underrated how difficult it can be to deal with, you know, a dishwasher to a tandoor guy, to a chef or a sous chef or a delivery boy. We grossly misunderstood that. I think it is still misunderstood even today. Uh, you know, especially people who are like white, you know, white on IT, you know, typing your life away in a room. You don't know, you don't know what goes on on the ground. Only when you open any kind of buildings on the ground, on the road, that's when you realize for the first time, oh man, like this is why. And I think uh, these things hurt our ego very, very bad. And I'm calling it ego because within three months of respond, um, so actually, like just to clarify the story, we basically hired a consultant. And this consultant did the whole turnkey for us. He said, don't worry, you know, give me your money and I will, you know, do the entire magic for you. And he did that. He did that pretty, pretty well. We were, you know, involved in the nice and participant. Yeah, brand name, color scheme, you know, a tasting of the menu. Right? So, so we were having a lot of fun and we were like, oh, then from this life. It's only when first three months ended, your honeymoon period ended. And, you know, one thing that, you know, I, I kind of not now, you know, given that I'm on the restaurant side, you know, uh, restaurant is actually a reverse building. Every other building that you start in the world, you will know that it will start slow. You will not make any money in month one, month two. It will slowly grow. That's what is exactly the work. You make a lot of money in day one. You make a lot of money in month one. You make lesser in month two, a bit lesser in month three, and after four, you're fun. So it's a, it's a different problem, right? Because in restaurants, if, when your restaurant opens, you get, you, 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 people buy novelty, people buy curiosity. If you have a decent food, people will come, you can sell the price, you can sell whatever you It's only very, you know, repeat customer does not happen. That's when you realize you all check, like month three is gone, right? So month one, we made profit. I was like, dude, I'm a genius. <laughs> so, so I think month three, uh, one that it of course started going down and issues started erupting. 
Malthi was also the time when this consultant, uh, you know, we caught him thieving, stealing, manipulating account. And because I caught him, we flicked him out. As soon as we flicked him out, everything fell on my shoulders. Uh, from right from that Martindolewala team, entire staff, to delivery people, to new actors in the play, which I didn't even recognize. MCB, police, health department, fire department. And I was like, and like, who are you guys? And, and why the fuck are you bothering me? And I was in a space where we, where I took all the licenses, I invested money in the right commercial space. So I was also very, very arrogant about it because the police wala is coming and saying, oh, give me three food. I was like, fuck you, man. Mm. Like, who are you? Mm. So I, I fought with police. I slammed official. I did, I did all the wrong things in the book and outside of it. And purely because I was right, because, you know, the arrogance of being right. Uh, you know, only to learn the hard way that boss, when you are in the jungle, the rules of the jungle apply. You can, you can decide to not be in the jungle. But if you are in the jungle, you can't decide what rules you will play by. You better learn the rules or you'll be crushed. So that happened with me. I, I learned it the hard way. I think first three months, all of this happened without. Uh, uh, third month, sorry. Third month, all of this happened later. And we wrote off this investment, me and my wife. And, wow. and me and Pachita are like, okay, dirty. Fuck it. Let's move on. And, and then the ego came in. And then we said, you know, man, like, we are smart people. How can, <laughs> like, how can this happen to uh, and, and let's give it one more shot. And because once we, once we thought that we are writing a document, I mean, it just, it just melted, right? All the pressure melted. And then we thought, all right, we are writing it off anyway. Why not give it one more quarter? And this time, let's treat this as our business. Let's not treat it as a side. Um, and I think the first day we rolled up our sleeves and when we went to the restaurant, feeling that, all right, we are going to take this shit. Uh, we also said, all right, where is the technology? And that's when, that's when we said, okay, we are going to fix the tech as well because we want manual control. We cannot sit at the restaurant anyway. We're going to come here every evening for two hours and that's all. So, so we started building this product. I pulled out two people from my telecom tech team and I said, guys, you know, this is the MVP. We need to make it for our restaurant, nothing else. And go back to doing what you're doing. Uh, practically, those two people continue with us today. One of them is our CTO at Fossils. So, so basically, they never went back. Practically. So, so uh, we ran that restaurant for 22 months. We faked that shit beautifully well in the next three months. Uh, we learned how to deal with police and departments as well. We learned how to deal with staff. We, we, the rest of it, we tried to solve the technology, fix our unit economy. But I think in the highest side, we enjoyed it because once we wrote it off, it became a great experimentation ground. So we, we were absolutely fearless because we, you know, we internalized this, that okay, we are not going to learn this for long anyway. Let's learn, let's figure out stuff, you know, break things. Uh, so, so that kind of worked out very, very well. It, this restaurant was called Vasoi Express. It was in Shalimanbad, North Delhi area. And we ran there for a little over, I think, 22 months to be precise. And uh, in between, we ended up selling the telecom company. 
and this was all these are all happening in parallel universes and we we were already uh, 11 month old with the product that we were you know using at our own restaurant and other restaurant owners took notice because because imagine this this is 2011 there's no cloud loud you know iphone is there in the world but there's no android so technically you know our regular aam aadmi does not have the understanding of apps and all of that and so non smartphone non internet days and in these days uh, there are these two youngsters running a restaurant in a traditional market where average age of a restaurant here is 50 plus and 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 these two people are not even coming to the restaurant uh, and and staff is saying ki oh these guys watch everything you know remotely so so we were a subject of envy for all the restaurants that are in and you know the murmurs around was oh these these people run some big non-profit sort of technology so so non restaurant owners started giving us inquiries and we categorically said no because we were really not interested in selling this product to them because we were like we are running a telecom company sakshi my wife she was running a web development services company and both of us were running this restaurant so we were like both too much on the plate not interested in adding a fourth you know tech product uh but then you know there came a point where product became really mature and you know in ice cream chain in delhi called gyali ice cream think of it like for for people in bombay it can be it's the base of the story of natural or in bangalore corner house very similar you know thing in in delhi yani these guys came to us for help and they said uh, we want your product and you are starting right i mean you're like wow yani guys actually helped from us like this is super cool that we we grew up eating that so we said yes to them by the time product was also quite mature in the sense that at least we were able to be things in our restaurant very well so so we said yes to them and this was i think october of 11 as soon as we said yes to him we started saying yes to other restaurant as well who we kept on pushing back for last couple months well in no time we had 30 40 story who were using our product apart from us so in january of 12 we decided to incorporate protest and uh, we also immediately decided to send off the restaurant because we did not want conflict uh, our restaurant owner telling our restaurant software was, was was not you know feeling well plus we were also done with the restaurant we had learned whatever we could from that out- outlet and we didn't want to do the service to it so we sold that restaurant to somebody else that guy also ran it for another 3 years after us and uh, and that's it so jan of 12 actually first of february 2012 is where we started possible uh and we are completing 11 year post of fan uh in like why did you call it bosses because what is the no we this is a this is a word that i coined so yeah. building software building system is generally called a pof pof yeah. it's a short it's a short for point of sale so point of sale or pos was a normal industry term that everybody understood and uh, so when we were thinking about a name And we we started as a fast company, so uh, and primarily thing was the restaurant building software. So uh, you know, I find this word our dental specialist yeah. is called dental a fast big impossible. Okay, 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 interesting. So uh, the uh, like you said that when running the Soy Express, you 
wanted to fix problems through technology. So uh, the uh, the billing was the problem that you fixed through technology, like making sure no. that... No, no. So, so the problems were, you know, quite um, interesting, actually. So billing itself was not a problem. Billing is the minimum utility that, you know... And there were a lot of solutions for billing off the shelf. Correct. There were a lot of on-prem, off-the-shelf mm-hmm. products, which were working actually fine, right? I think what we what we embarked on, like the journey to solution was, um, first of all, staff had a lot of incentive in not giving you bill, basically breaking down that machine, breaking down the system, right? So, right. so do, do you see those those play cards in? in nah, the if you don't get bill, it's your bill is clean. Correct. Imagine the gravity of that statement. Uh, a brand like PVR and McDonald's or Subway is putting that card and actually saying that my employee, my teammate is not, you know, uh, trustworthy. As a customer, can you please be vigilant on my behalf? Imagine if you are a cashier of your restaurant manager, would you like to stand behind that kind of card? But, but theft in the restaurant space is so normalized that brand also believes that they need to put that card and the employee is also like, yeah, Lagane, I understand that, right? So, so one problem was that we wanted to fix that nobody is going to get full without, you know, entering it into a system, right? So we wanted to make sure that happens. And those kind of solutions were not there. Uh, we also were born on... So you're saying so, that order taking itself should be captured. Like, people should be writing order in a notebook. So, so not, not, not only that, actually, what I, what I figured is that you know, cashier is running the game, right? So cashier has a lot of incentive in, let's say, not billing one Dal McCree for 200 bucks, right? And pocketing those 200 bucks. So I said, okay, if if there are multiple touch points across the restaurant and restaurant has 22 people working, right? If multiple touch points, you know, get a part of it, these 200 bucks divided across 22 people is not incentive enough. Right. So can you make sure that there are so many touch points that there is no single point of failure? If this guy has to thieve money, he needs to collude with all trading, which never happens in the world. So that was the that was the starting idea, right? So we wanted to second thing is that we wanted to make an unbreakable system. And by that the logic was that with our boss machine, with our top clean system, we also placed a laptop, a standby laptop on the side where we can hey, if machine has a problem start this laptop and this product processed, which what it is today was always born on cloud. It was a, it was a browser born product. So we built a, we built a product on, on browser because we said that in no way, uh, you know, this guy should say, he, oh, software required installation again. And somebody has to come and do the servicing. You're like, no, fuck this. Uh, it has to be online, it has to be there, and we are going to pay extra to make sure that there are parallel internet connections, those days were different. And, uh, and, and we said we were going to maintain that, but this is not going to go installed. So we never installed the product on our system. Second thing, actually, what we were trying to also solve was um, uh, inventory control system. So uh, inventory control, you will not believe, I mean, it, it just, you know, again, it, it just blows my mind. We are in 2023 today. And even today, inventory control is an underrated problem. People recognize it more today, but you know, back in the day, it was always absent. So we wanted to make sure that our recipes are 
or variant, you won't believe what, what all will be caught. We actually realized that a lot of pilferage in the food was happening or a lot of margin pilferage was happening because of the recipes. But we also figured that how thieving happened. For example, you order 8 kg paneer. Now, you are trying to count how many pieces of paneer will go in one dish. You are trying to count how many paneer dishes you, know, you could sell with it. But the fact is that paneer is uh, 100 rupees a kg. I remember, you know, it was 100 rupees a kg then. I don't know how much is it today. We realized that the supplier is only supplying 8 kgs. And the guy who is accepting the order in the morning at 8 a.m. is signing on 10 kg. And these guys are distributing 2 kgs worth of money, one money each. Now we only have received 8. Your 20% is out. Things like these. Now how do you catch it? Again, we figured that there is a variance in the behavior. We deployed two different uh, suppliers for each item. And we started figuring out the yield from that item by supplier. And, and as soon as the yield for a supplier dropped, we caught hold of him and we told him that, dude, we're going we're gonna to complain. Tell us the reality. I actually got suppliers who actually told me that, okay, tomorrow I'm going to do something and your guy is going to tell you that there is a complaint in the product. Day after, I'm going to give him a bottle of wine and you call him again and he will give you a good feed. Let me, let me show you the demo. I thought, all right. Yeah. So we, we, we basically tried to go very, very deep in exactly how we have tapped in, you know, how the mountains, you know. So all of this we were solving through tech and we were able to do it, you know, quite well. Okay. So like uh, the product you started selling, just tell me the, the, the components in it. One is like the point of sale billing. So when uh, we started, it was, it was billing software, front of trend, uh, we call it front of the house. So point of sale software. Um, and then it was backend inventory control where you will make your purchases, you'll make your recipe and it will deduct inventory based on your front end sale. And the third piece was the CRM where you will like go to mail, you will take a customer's mobile number. And all that they are ordering, that will remain in the history, their address, etc. will remain in the history. And you will be able to, you know, take out the CRM data, um, you know, slot it, you know, basically what a customer likes and how much they spend, etc. etc. And you'll be able to run your marketing SMS campaign. We were the SMS champions anyway. So we so we we basically built that in. So our first product in 2012 was the three components: pause, inventory control, and CRM. Today, today that has grown into 14 different modules. So now it is more complex, right? It starts from table reservation system on the, on the, on the rest part. So think of it like all the holes sitting with the tablet outside. So, so that kind of thing. So from reservation system to inside the store POS system to tablets or mobile phone that meter carries at times to take your order at your table. Then it goes back to KDF system, which is called kitchen display system, which is what, you know, you know, the tickets that go in the kitchen, uh, you go in the kitchen and it can go like, you can order a one way of fries and a Coke and 
and this order will get disintegrated into three different streams because there is a coke station, price station, and a burger station, and then they will go to an assembler station where all these three components will come and he'll assemble it into a single order, and then it will go to a dispatcher station where there is going to be a couple of things which will say order number sixty nine. You will go and he will pass it on to you, and he will say okay, it will be So, so all the customer displays three assembler station, dispatcher station, the part of the kitchen management. Then it goes back to the inventory control and inventory control has a lot of components now. So there is a, you know, uh, uh, in the restaurant side system and then there is an outside of the restaurant system, which is for, which is for example, your procurement, your warehouse. As a brand, you can have a central kitchen where you procure stuff, warehouse them, and then cook the intermediate recipe. If you're an Indian restaurant or a Mexican restaurant, you may be making a lot of curries, a lot of you know, puries and, and all of that, and they will be transported to the restaurant. If you're a bakery, you may be making sponges and a lot of other stuff. So you have a central kitchen, base kitchen. And then uh, our CRM continues. We don't do marketing piece on it, but we do the full-fledged CRM. We also do all kinds of integration. So today, Swiggy is the motto in India, you know, hunger station, Jahil, Deliveroo, uh, Talabad, in Middle East, in Europe. Uh, so we integrate all these aggregators into the product. So when you order, this order land in the restaurant in fraction of a second, uh, because you know delivery game may thirty seconds can be make or break for a brand. And then we also have a product which powers all centers of some of the large brands because because for example even in India when nobody is actually technically calling to place the order, but let's say a brand has hundred stores across India. They want the central control center, which actually keeps a watch on which outlet is getting ordered from where and is that order getting, you know, accepted on time, delivered on time. They have a control center. A lot of countries outside of India are still getting calls and like a massive number of calls. So, so we basically have a cloud call center product, but this call center is also a food call center. So all our 14 products are in the response space. Uh, we have a product for cloud kitchen, which is a very, very specifically cloud kitchen management product. We have a product which uh, works in banqueting and catering. So we work with a lot of hotels, but we only do the F&B side for that. We work with a lot of hospitals, F&B. We recently, uh, you know, we powered sports stadiums and sports cities. So we were the, you know, we were powering FIFA stadium food this mm-hmm. time. Okay. So that, that, that was a big one for us. I want to understand uh, this inventory slash purchase a little better. So, uh, if a restaurant buys a software, then do they have to, uh, first of all, upload all the menu? And then for e- each menu item, do they have to like specify that, say, paneer makhani needs 200 grams of paneer and tomato puree and this is this. So, they have to yeah. enter the entire yeah. uh, SDU. Yeah. So, they have to they have to make a full recipe and the recipe will be really granular. They will say, all right, uh, you know, one portion of paneer makri is going to be, let's say, 350 grams. And it is, you know, and, and, and what our product will do is, see, a restaurant does not do the recipe of 350 grams uh, of paneer makri. Right? So, so, so chef will say, all right, I know how to make 10 kg Paneer Makri. So he will make the recipe of 10 kg Paneer Makri. Our software will portion it, you know, and, and portion wise is going to be a one portion recipe. And, uh, and every time, you know, uh, uh, something happens in deduct. We also do things like, uh, 
you know, some, some very interesting uh, innovations on, I don't know, even if it's innovation or not. For example, people in the restaurant, they don't necessarily use the same unit of measurement for a certain item in which they buy. For example, yeah, for example, they can buy salt in kgs, but when he's writing the recipe, he will say tablespoon. Correct? Uh, there can be the other side as well. For example, um, in India, especially in North India, uh, when they buy lime, right? So they will they will not say quintal or kg. Uh, they will say ek katta Now katta is like one, you know, word that they are using to define forty kg rice. So what what we did is that our product also allowed them to create their own unit, buy in their own unit, and consume in their own unit, and it keep interchanging into the unit which needs reporting. Uh, my very first job when I was about seventeen, eighteen was at McDonald's. I was actually a group well, but I remember like the restaurant closed at 11 and from 11 to 12, one hour, the manager would be sitting on his Correct. Job. He'll be doing, yeah. All, yeah. The, so now all, the, cardboard, all the cardboard, he will be continuously, you know, measuring everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay, fascinating. So uh, tell me about uh, your uh, customer acquisition journey. Like, you know, so initial customer acquisition was organic. Uh, how did you scale that? Well, uh, I think uh, customer acquisition journey was uh, was quite a quite a journey, and I think it, it continues. I don't think anything has changed. Uh, just yeah. that we have become either a little better or numb to the challenge. <laughs> uh, I don't know which one, but uh, okay. I think I think the biggest challenge that hit us as soon as we started talking was uh, this realization that. Restaurant owner does not have a degree, does not have a qualification, does not come from a certain background. The problem is that a lawyer went to law school and knows other lawyers. A doctor went to medical school, knows other doctors. Restaurant owner can be a property dealer, can be a lawyer, can be a PA, can be an engineer, can be anyone. And and the problem is that basis their background they will think about their restaurant differently. Somebody who is, you know, coming from a media background and if he starts a restaurant, he'll be very, very high on branding and messaging and content. And while a property dealer will be too big on the location and everything can be mediocre and a chef will be too much fascinated by food and he will probably think about it differently. So we realize this one is that the dishonor in uh, the behavior and the temperament of our persona. And we were like, oh man, what have we like different baby? Because now I can't define my persona and have a single messaging for them. I need to tailor it based on who am I talking to. And the second biggest challenge, or rather it was the first challenge uh, in the order, was because anybody can be a restaurant owner, now my targeting is gone. Right? I remember Prakto, uh, uh, Shashant is a dear friend and Prakto also started like many years before or two years before us. So we used to chat a lot and I used to be so envious because, you know, Shashant will tell me, oh, dude, we signed the dentist and he has uh, seven friends and he is already there for us. And now, and I'm like, I'm like, you know what? Mine is exactly the worst. Number one, I, if I have been over a restaurant owner 
And if I sell it to them, one, if they don't know any other restaurant owner, two, the ones they know are also the restaurant owners operating in their geographic area. So they term them as competitors and they don't want to refer us because mm -hmm. if our software is working for them, they look at us like a best kept secret. They don't, they don't want, they don't want Bajuwala restaurant owner to know uh, that, okay, this will give you more power. So we, our, our customer acquisition journey, you know, started with these challenges, like raw, but real challenges. And we, uh, I think first year we uh, um, experimented a lot. Uh, and our experimentation went wired. Like we did everything um, that we could afford or, or was possible. So right from um, making the listing on India Mart, trademark.com, uh, buying a package from Just Dial, uh, doing, of course, good old FEO, um, trying to run, you know, paid ads, uh, to, to uh, booking a stall in a trade show, uh, finding anything that looks like a restaurant conference or hospitality conference, uh, knocking the door of on restaurant and hospitality associations, um, to going, you know, deploying a team. Door -door -door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did literally everything. Um, and, and we started qualifying and disqualifying, you know, me, right? Because one of the biggest issues also was that, uh, you know, there was not enough searching for our category. So we were, we were actually way ahead of our time. And, uh, I'm, I'm actually grateful to, uh, myself and Sakshi. And everybody else who stuck around because, because we can say this today because we survived. Uh, uh, and thankfully, you know, these kind of wisdoms are always handsome. Right. Like, uh, 2012, how ahead we were of our time, I would have said, more. this is bullshit, not doing um, I think we only realized it in 2016. Honestly, the first realization when I really felt, oh shit, I think we were too ahead of our time. But, but we survived. So that was in 2016, and I'll tell you why. Yeah, but, uh, why. Yeah. why were you too so, ahead of your time? Was it because it was a subscription that nobody used to buy subscription? No, not only that. That was, of course, one of the parts. But I think we were too ahead of our time at a fundamental level. Uh, uh, let me start with this. Uh, we started in an era where previous generation, our parent generation, and one still in power, especially in the restaurant space. So the average age was very, very high. Two, internet penetration was genuinely poor and internet speeds were really bad and internet was, you know, not reliable. Three, this is not an era of tablet and smartphone. So people are not used to app. People are not used to DIY. I don't know. If you know, if many people realize this or not, especially, you know, our generation, you know, 85, 85 to 95 born, you know, people. Uh, I think if you, if you look, you will realize that one of the biggest transformation, behavioral transformation that has happened uh, all over the world, and especially India, is that a country which used to, which was with the normal way of dealing was that we will have somebody else do something for us, became DIY. Right. Smartphone 
because it's a personal device, it actually changed people's behavior to a DIY approach. Uh, and that approach in itself is a, is a big, you know, disruption, uh, leading to 20,000 other things, right? Anyway, so, so we were ahead of our time. One, because of these infrastructural things, right? Second, we were ahead of our time because this was also the era when people were not buying software. People were still, like our parents' generation, they only bought a computer. Computer wala installed the Windows pirated, Office pirated, Dali pirated, everything pirated. So these were these guys and said it's not like that they were misers. It didn't even occur to them, right? Paying for software, pay, yeah, paying for software looked like a crime, right? Anything that you can't touch and feel and you can't own and is not an asset in your books, you're fine. If you don't pay for service, you don't. So, and in that era, we were trying to share a cloud-based point-of-sale system, which requires internet, is not going to be installed in your system. It's, it's going to remain online. And to make matters worse, this is also the era, because previous generation is in power, everybody is trying to underbuild. They are trying to feed the back. And they are scared about anything that is online. So their EA saying, don't take online software. Your entire detail will go to government. And... People are like horrified. So we were ahead of our time in, in these aspects, right? Practically from an ecosystem perspective as well, and why it changed in 2016 is that we also were ahead of our time because this was also an era where online ordering is not happening. Online payment is not happening. Products are not integrating with each other. You are not always on the move. So your customer is actually sitting at his, her own restaurant the entire day. You can't replace that human with the software. We have had, we've had a funny incident where in RK Puram in Delhi, a very, very popular bakery, uh, one of our sales guys back in 2012, one day made the sale, came out very happy. Uh, and it was like, you were, I think, selling for 12,000 rupees per restaurant per year. Very, very cheap price. Uh, it was still costly for people because they were one you not used to pay for the software, and even if they were used to pay for the software, it was like a one-time five thousand rupees and that's it. And we were saying that we are charging twelve thousand rupees every year, so people used to be like, so we used, to, you know, how how we used to sell, we used to convince people by saying, hey, okay, let us assume this is twelve thousand rupees one time. You use it for this year. If you don't like it, you will not renew it anyway. So why are you threatening you on twelve thousand rupees? Like, you know, so, so we you basically did a lot of fifth talk, sending it on. So this guy came back and he said, okay, I've, I've got this legendary iconic bakery that, you know, all is done. I said, okay, uh, two days from then, uh, we had a call from that guy and he was abusing and shouting and he was like, he was like, guys, please come back, get my money, you know, take your product out. And this guy went and, and I told him, okay, you know, will you go there, you know, relax, calm him down. Let me, let me talk to him if I can tell you until, and, and if you don't understand what's the problem. So the story was that this guy's son, and son was young, 21 year old. He had just joined the game. And first thing that he tried to do was to replace Papa with boss. So, and Papa was the one who triggered this, and he said, fuck you, and you know, nothing doing, and you bloody get your sorry ass on the counter every day. This is how the shit will be. So, so the Uncle G was like, 
you know, of course, he was, he was like, my, my, he, by the way, he was not abusing Afghan. He was a big fan. He was like, you know, my, my son is like, uh, like a stupid fellow and, and he has done, I, I handphone with requests, whatever, you know, damage I've done to you guys, please take that money, but please refund my money and send it. So I had a chat with that and answered him because, uh, you know, is there a problem with the software? He said, no, there's no problem with the software, but I don't want your call. I said, okay. Uh, he said, tell me, why should I have your software? I said, okay. Now, this is that classic story. Have you heard that joke of, uh, you know, I mean, generally people call it, I mean, they nickname that BJ once went to a fisherman and, and, and fisherman was sleeping. And BJ said, hey, dude, why are you sleeping? He said, I had the catch of the day. He said, okay. But then why are you not catching more? He said, what will happen if I do that? He said, you'll be able to sell more. He said, then? He said, you'll make more money. Then? Then you'll have more fishing nets. He said, then? And Bill Gates, of course, takes his thing to like large fishery. And he said, then? He said, then you sell your fisheries company and sit back and relax. He said, what do you think I'm doing right now? So, so I, I maybe had moment with this uncle wherein, when I said, until a software is going to allow you to automate your trade. He said, then what will I do? I said, then you are free from your store and, and you can do other things. He said, but I don't have any other thing to do. I said, oh, uh, then you can open another store. He said, no, no, I am done with this store only, man. I'm not going to open another store. I said, oh, I said, but we are also going to make sure that there is no pilferage and there is no chori and, you know, thieving at your store. He said, dude, I fix at 12 hours. If anybody is going to try thieving anything, I'll cut their hand. Oh. Uh, I said, okay, so I ran on it, you know, positive. So I, I said, oh, I said, okay, uncle, can you pass on the phone to my sales guy? And I called him and I said, look, he's like, we can't replace him with this offer. Refund his money, come back. Uh, so these were the, you know, the, the, this is why, uh, you know, we were too ahead of our time. There were, there were no reasons for people to technically adopt it. But, but these kind of incidents also helped us triangulate our ideal customer profile. So these kind of incidents two, three, four times made us realize that our ideal customer is a new age restauranteur, a fresh restauranteur, a young restauranteur, somebody who is not willing to sit at the restaurant full time. Somebody either has other businesses or has plans to open more store. So we, we basically qualified. Like my 2013, within that one year, we had a very solid qualification of who is our ideal customer. And, and I can tell you, until 2015, or rather I would say 16, 80% of our business was new restaurant installation. It is only after 16 that the percentage of replacement an established restaurant using a legacy system, replacing, me replacing that, it actually accelerated after 16 and cut to 2023 today, 95% of our business is replacement. It's not new. In fact, today, tables have turned in a way a new restaurant owner, a new age restaurant owner is actually quite a curse. We don't want to serve them. Because, uh, uh, because we are a very, very large product. We are, uh, we are, uh, you know, not only a learning curve, I think it's like, uh, see, if I, I mean, this will sound very, very pompous, but bear with, bear with the brand. Uh, it's like, 
if I put you in a Mercedes on day one, while you will appreciate, while you will appreciate Mercedes, but you will technically not be able to appreciate it for what it is. I have to put you in a Maruti 800 for a year for you to truly appreciate what Mercedes brings, right? So in our case, our new restaurateur, you know, appreciates her, but but can also take a lot of goodness for granted. Uh, you know, uh, and we are a very customer-centric company and, and that is something that you can validate by doing a Google search. So if you will Google search Fossist reviews, you, you will see thousands of reviews, right? Like the number is so high that I can't even fake it. So, and these are the reviews where you will find like, like you know, people love our support. People love our, you know, assistance. People will talk about that, oh, nobody has ever duped them uh, you know, we are the company who refunds money if, if things don't go well. Uh, so we have remained customer centric at a short term cost. And, you know, those short term costs were really costly. But I think we, we invested all this faith believing that there is going to be another day and we are going to live for long. And this guy is going to turn around and come back. So don't worry, change the life. So I think today we, you know, we, we realize that. People who have actually used something crap or who have a high tech problem that is unsolved have a pain, uh, you know, appreciate us more. And people who don't have pain or don't have a perception of pain right now uh, can appreciate us, but not exactly for what, you know, we like maybe we bring. Like, like a lot of SaaS companies start with SME first and then they move to the enterprise. Correct. We had the same curve. We, between 2012 okay. to 2016, we were an India-focused SLB uh, mid-market at best product. 2016, we switched gears, hard switch, and we went enterprise India, and we started toying with SLB outside of India, and for us outside of India meant Singapore and Dubai. In 2017, uh, we solidified that Moshi, and we... What we kind of revenue did you have uh, in 2016 to uh, <laughs> did you need external funding then, to yeah. go out? Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, revenue in 2016 was very, very less. Uh, I think we uh, closed 2016 March. I hope I'm right. I think we closed it with 1 crore 10 lakh in revenue. Hmm. Uh, how, how could you afford going abroad? Like, I think we, we were still profitable. So we, I think so we operated company with profits from day one. Uh, even at a two lakh. So by the way, we were profitable in two lakh 40,000 rupees a month. Yeah, we made 40,000 that month. Okay. So our team was always me and we maintained it by design. I think both me and Fakshi, uh, temperament wise, uh, you know, we cannot, we cannot sleep if it, if it's burning. And, and by that, uh, you know, we invest a lot in the forward growth, but, but not at the right strong unit economy. So I think all those principles, uh, you know, nowadays are being talked about a lot, uh, because there is a downturn. When I, uh, but although I think that is only for any year <laughs> after as soon as, as soon as funding starts again, people will be like, yeah, we should grow, yeah, grow, yeah, grow. Sure. So, so yeah, so I, I hear your question. I think what I can tell you is that we started going outside, but we kept on increasing the price of our product. 
So, so important thing for you to understand is that a product that we sold for 12,000 rupees per year in 2012, uh, we increased the price to 24,000 in 2014. We tried increasing the price in 2015 to 40,000, but that did not work because value creation was not enough. It was our fault. Uh, and then when we switched, when I said we switched hard, you know, when we moved to enterprise or rather a chain first approach, it was technically not even enterprise. We just said that it changed first product and we rewrote our product from scratch. So we re-architected that. Our price from 12,000 to 24,000 to 1.2 lakh and 2.4 lakh per restaurant per year. So this was a hard ideal customer profile change as well, where we stopped talking to small restaurants. And, and I think our definition of small was if the entrepreneur, if the restaurateur is thinking small. For example, if you are a quick service store, let's say you're a waffle store chain, right? And you have five stores. And you're fitting on. And you don't think about fitting. Technically, you're a small guy for me. Because, not because you don't have money or you have lack of money, because your ambition is so small that probably you will find me not only costly, you'll find me ridiculous. And I agree with you. Like, we have been, we have been pretty, you know, self-aware about it. So in 2016, when we switched these gears, the idea was not that we were selling 1.2 lakh products to the same people who we were selling 12,000 to. No. I think the game was in qualification. So we basically hard qualifying. We trained our sales team to walk away faster than, than the prospect can walk away from you. You know, I love, see, I, I, I love those calls where uh, no bullshit spam call that I received. Hello, uh, credit card And before me, she puts the call. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, this is perfect. Bandi mission, you know, she's absolutely mission oriented and she has no fucks to give. And, and this is great. Right? I'm like, and I don't appreciate calls when somebody saying, Hello, sir, I'm from this. Good morning, sir. Uh, yeah, and, and do you want no one? Do you want personal? I'm like, why, why, why did we do it? So we basically trained our, trained our sales team, you know, to ask very, very hard questions to understand the states of their buildings. For example, like I'll give you one definition and you'll make sure. Uh, for somebody to buy a 1.2 lakh per year sort of product, we were very, very sure that we need to deliver at least a saving of 12 lakh to somebody. Then only you justify taking 10%. They don't think that it's a subscription cost, right? So it's our way. Now, if you are pitching a 12 lakhs worth of saving, you're not super bad. You can't save 10% for someone, right? That, that business owner is not that stupid that you are coming from our side and you will, you know, click and save it, right? So let's be serious about it. Let's be real about it. Let's assume that your product is going to bring in three to five percent efficiency in the business and you need to find those areas right now for that that means for you to save 12 lakh for someone in a year uh or a lakh rupees in a month by this definition that person should be making a sale of at least uh you know ma making a profit let's say of a margin of at least 20 lakhs in a month for somebody to make a margin of 10 to 20 lakhs in a month, or sorry, 10 lakhs in a month, 
for somebody to make a margin of 10 lakhs in a month, by worst logic, they have to make a sale of 50 lakhs in a month. That was the golden number. So if your restaurant is doing less than 50 lakhs revenue a month, wrong answer. Right? So our, our, our ICP chain. Now, when you go to a restaurant bar who is doing a corona month, boom, you are in the game. Our conversion rate has been 85%. Really? Not on the cold call, of course. I'm saying from a qualified yeah. yeah, yeah. So once we qualify a prospect, our conversion from qualification to, you know, to convert was very, very high, right? So, so we basically effectuated that. Uh, you know, actually, because you asked that question, you know, how could you remain profitable or how could you grow outside? I, I, I have a very strong belief, and this is something that I am not only saying for my own business. Uh, you know, I do this. This is my passion. I do this with other entrepreneurs. I do this with my portfolio companies, my friends. Uh, where I believe that if you are pricing right, and if you are not wasting your marketing, your sales dollars in chasing or prospecting or convincing or working the wrong people, you can be you can be solid. Like you can be super profitable. Your CAC will always be very very low. Your CAC will return a long term value. So, for example, for us. Uh, you know, if you are a qualified prospect and we have hard qualified, honestly, even if you don't buy today, we don't feel bad because we know that he has left you with such solid information and understanding that you may not be buying today because of 20,000. You may not have budget. You may not have conviction. You may believe that your business is not ready for it. You may have, you know, you may have an idea of the, oh, I want to buy a cheaper one. I know that in the next three years, you are going to come back. So, so our optimism, if you will talk to an average possible salesperson, they will never tell you that there is a lost opportunity. And I'm not just saying it for sale, right? Because each of them have seen so many people coming back that, that the general operating belief of the company is that there is no lost prospect. It is only delayed. I got it. Right? And that allows, that allows us to put our best, you know, uh, in every uh, conversation we do with the customers. But at the prospecting stage, at the qualification stage, we have proved that, like, we will ask you 20,000 questions. And if you, at any point, if you are KD and you are saying, oh, no, no, uh, yeah. why should I tell you that? Or, or if you say, my profile is fine, I'm curious of, you know, what are you, what do you have to offer? The guy will very politely with high folded email system. Let's not fix what we have broken. If you have a pain, we can try and figure out if we can solve. If you don't have a pain, why are you wasting your time? I can give you a demo, but it won't help you. So what does your sales funnel look like? Like from top of the funnel till conversion? Like how do you do your lead gen? What channel of, uh, like, you know, what channels do you use and so on? So today, Today, our, our sales, uh, so one thing is that 95% plus of our business is completely inbound, including enterprise. So, uh, we, we, our, our marketing channels are very educative, uh, and brand marketing and long tail marketing channels. So we do a lot of trade shows, uh, globally. Uh, you know, for example, in 20, 2022, we part of Major Day, 
27 events globally. And these are trade shows, exhibitions, conferences. So in conferences, we sponsor, uh, you know, uh, I speak at conferences. Uh, in trade shows, we will put like large booth. We will also do our own events. We will do, you know, small round tables. We will do our own mixers. Um, apart from that, we have a digital side, which is a content property that we run. So if you will search uh, the restaurant time, or if you will search any question, how to open a cloud kitchen, how to start a restaurant bar, uh, there is a very, 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 very high chance that you will land up on a restaurant time lot. These are all privately written content. Uh, we, we experience three and a half million unique visitors every year uh, on the blog, completely organic. Uh, our blog, I can, I can share some numbers as well. Uh, our blog and website generate 600 plus qualified hotly every month. And this is zero pack. Uh, we don't do uh, paid advertising, just by the way. Uh, we don't do paid advertising at all because uh, we don't understand it well or it didn't work for us. I don't know. Uh, uh, also because we don't do SMB now. So the reason to do paid advertising also fell, you know, you know, through the cracks folder. So our, our primary business today is upper mid-market large enterprise. Our ticket size uh, is $100,000, you know, to $1.5 million annual. Uh, we still do, we still do, you know, $10,000 to $100,000, you know, deal. But those are actually not the ones where we will be working hard. It's actually mostly the worst. So, for example, there can be, there can be a brand which has only two stores right now, but they're for 200 and very, very aggressive, solid company. So today that contract is going to look like a $10,000 or $5,000. So we, we, we continue doing that. But again, we, we qualify these very, very clearly that why are you buying us? Because honestly, we do three-year contract. If you are not, if, if there's even a little chance that you're not going to renew next year with us because you were not able to take value out or you were not able to provide value or you found it costly, you would rather abort it this way. I mean, you will say, you know, let's come back once you're ready. Uh, this is not the right time. And we, you will, you will also waste your money by the way. So we are also nice with customers that way because, uh, you know, uh, we probably have, we are above that greed or uh, enough, I would say. Uh, it may not be greed, but I think mean, we want to take everybody's money, <laughs> but, uh, but not really. I think, I think for us, prosperity of any business can only be achieved when you have longevity and predictability with your customer, with your revenue, with your cash flow. And that's the only way you can continue building your product. When a customer signed me up for three years uh, and I have a visibility of three years, but now when a customer makes an ask and if I let's say develop a feature for them, I know that it's going to be used for like three years. Uh, you know, when, when, when I commit a mistake, uh, you know, customer knows that he signed me up for three years. I mean, they're not going to fire me instantly, right? So there is no negative stress in the system that, oh, uh, Will he renew next month? Will he renew next month? So when you when you take every kind of negative stress out of the system, then system operates in a positive stress. Right? It, it's like uh, I define negative and positive stress as when you are running to win versus when you are running to not lose. 
And when you are learning to not lose, there is there is a lot of there's a lot of negative pressure you know built in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And sales international domestic, all of it is happening from India, like your sales team. No, no, no. We have you know no, we have people we have people on the ground in different countries. So we have our team right now present in Dubai, Saudi Arabia, Riyadh, Singapore, uh, Bangkok. Uh, Mexico City and US. And so this would not be like inside sales because these are high no. ticket deals. So these are high ticket deals. These are not inside sales. Yeah. Most of the heavy, most of the heavy thing you will see happens from India. Most of the background work happens from India. So my last topic that I want to talk to you is about your angel investor. What made you want to be an angel investor? How do you evaluate people who pitch to you? You know, tell me a bit about that. So why I became an angel investor, I think, uh, very, like, I'll, I'll go back to probably my uh, early days. I think uh, I always wanted to, you know, invest in other people's equity. Even when angel investing was not popular. In fact, I can tell you that it was so difficult to broach the subject that my first uh, angel investment would have happened in 2011. And there was this guy who was also an entrepreneur, uh, you know, in our kind of stage. And we were formulating process end of 11. And this guy will, you know, had started a company like three months before us. And he was still in the early stages. And the guy was absolutely on point. Product was phenomenal. Uh, we knew that it would go places. And and I remember in December of 11 or Jan 12, uh, you know, this guy was trying to raise money in the angel, Indian angel network, Mumbai angels in India, and was getting harassed left, right, center with those folks. People were asking him random shit, giving him crap term sheets. And he was, you know, he used to come in the evening rank about it. Me and Sachi looked at each other and said, hey, you know, we should invest in this company. And uh, it occurred to us very naturally. And, and actually, again, as I said, we not the time in Angel. I mean, Angel investor in India in 2011 was somebody who must be sitting with like 100 crore cash, must be like a, you know. Or like someone a, who's like US. Yeah, retired, retired guy. Right? Like, so, so, so Sakshi or me both said, we should invest in this company. You know, we couldn't muster the courage to ask because because he was a like he was he was, he was a fellow entrepreneur, and and we weren't sure how will he look at it, will he accept it, is it going to be nice, and uh, exactly one year from then, then I mean we kept on we kept in touch, we kept on you know bouncing of ideas and helping each other right, and he made it to YC from India. Very early YC batch. Uh, that company today does 80 million in ARR. And uh, which company is this? So who's the founder? This company is called Plivo, P L I V O. Founder is Venki. And, uh, and, uh, and Plivo is a Twilio competitor. Uh, okay. Head on to so you. Understood that, you understood that business well. Because- Correct. I looked at telecom business very, very well. So, of course, natural information we talk. But uh, I think the bigger... So, 
So Benki, Benki was the guy, and we never told him. By the way, the fan, uh, we never told him that. I mean, we of course told him very, very late. But but we couldn't muster the courage, right? So these were the seeds of angel investment. Where I think I think thankfully for me and Prakash both temperament very similar about these things. I think our risk appetite is very similar. So I'm like, I think that's great. Otherwise, it would have been a little bit of a problem. Um, but uh, I think our belief in entrepreneurs is uh, like it's too much. I think we, we genuinely believe in entrepreneurs. We believe in creators. We don't mind losing money at their hands because we are also pro-learning. And, and I'm not saying this in a virtuous sort of way. I'm saying this in a very practical way because I have made 48 investments so far. And yeah, and I can tell you that I think apart from cash return, I think the amount of knowledge, amount of learning, number of journeys that I have gone through with all these friends, all these entrepreneurs, the number of journeys that I keep going through with them, the the magnitude, depth, and the width of experience I gain from these 45, 48, and more is worth more than I have invested or they can return. Like, I can speak to you about anything on the Basal, and so much of that knowledge comes from fellow entrepreneurs, right? For example, today in this podcast, you know, you learned a little, a little more about you know, restaurant backing a little more about why a banquet will use the software, right? Now imagine if you were talking to me twelve times a year and you would and I'm discussing with you like my deep dark problems as well as, you know, my bright now business. Uh your perspective about my business will be as much like you'll be like you'll be looking at a restaurant and you'll be feeling like, you know, sending a software to you, right? Because you are not investing back. Right? So Pricing. And okay. for us, okay. that journey was important. When we, when we were saying that, oh, let's invest in Prevo, I think me and Sakshi were not really thinking that, oh, he will go to ITL and he'll make a lot of money. I think we were, like, it was just a romanticism, like the basic romanticism, fundamental stuff. Key. We love talking to him. He loves talking to us. This is high energy. This is awesome. Uh, let's be a part of it. Let's buy a small ticket away. So I think uh, that happened. Uh, we did not really think a lot about it. But when he went to YCN, people started flying. It got validated. Okay. You know, uh, but uh, I think our first angel investment really happened in 2016. Uh, when another company, a friend, uh, you know, who we were helping in general, pro bono, bouncing ideas and all, he, uh, he needed, you know, 10 lakh a and he was like in the little bit of a big hit. And, uh, and I loaned that money. And, and I, of course, believed in him. And, and, and the project for which he was asking and lagged, uh, uh, was also YC. Uh, and then next starts. And I, and I actually told him and he was worried that what if he doesn't make it to YC. So I told him, I said, don't worry. Uh, this 10 lakh is not a real burden. It is also not philanthropy. Take the 10 lakh, go to YC, go to Techstars. If you go through, great. If you don't, keep this money. Whenever you raise your next round, whatever that valuation is, convert this into 
equity and I'm finding it. So these guys could not clear IT. They, I think, I think they did textile. I don't remember now. Uh, but, uh, but that company, you know, went on to do good stuff, uh, eventually got acquired. Uh, and that, that kind of became the start, you know, of that journey. And, uh, since then, I mean, it has only released over time, but one of the biggest, one of the major reasons in 2016 for this to happen was actually a personal side event. We, we got a massive acquisition offer and, and money was good. Uh, money was good for our state at that time. Money was also good at an individual level. Amazing, amazing. Okay, okay. Uh, what are some of those iconic brands that uh, use buses in India? Uh, like India, Jeep, a lot of the them. Uh, uh, India, um, can't just start So right from your Sanjeev Kapoor restaurant, Yellow Chili, Yellow Mirchi, to, you know, you see this, uh, Daba has, uh, you know, chain of restaurants called uh, Punjab Grill, Fresco, Zambar, Daronovar. You have uh, all these iconic locations, I mean, places and all iconic locations like uh, Copper Chimney, Bombay Military, Irish Hines, all these results. Then QSRs like uh, Belgian Waffles, uh, Wow Momo, uh, not a homegrown chain, you know, in every city. Then in international brands, you will find Mercury, Cars Junior, Taco Bell, Subway. So all 700 Subways in India use us. Um, you'll also find us in, uh, you know, top five nine restaurants. You, you find us in, you know, non large restaurant bars. So I can, I can name them for each city. Uh, each city has its own, you know, ecosystem. But, but if it's a, if it's a large restaurant bar, if it's a place which has, you know, for example, Sunburn is, is a popular brand name, you know, in Goa, in Hyderabad, you know, they are a customer. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually a, a lot of iconic, uh, you know, those small locations, like, you know, for example, uh, North Delhi has, North Delhi has, uh, Murthal, right? So, uh, or Haige Dhaba, uh, on Murthal, on Ahuja number one, which is like a 60, 70 year old Naba, they use us. Uh, North India has these beautiful Haveli on, on highway. Yeah, Haveli. Yeah. So Haveli is a customer. Uh, and I can, I mean, I can keep on thinking like in Bangalore, yeah, uh, you have, you have Magnolia Bakery from yeah. New York. You have Arbor, Arbor Brewing Company, uh, and Energy Road. Um, so you find it all at all these locations. Uh, amazing. Amazing. And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to this show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in this show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the podium dot in. That's ad at t h e p o d i u m dot in.